All right, everybody. Ah. Sorry if that was too loud in your ears. I realized uh, sometimes I like to stretch. Actually, every single time when I start to do intros, I stretch. And if I exhale or that's the opening statement that I make that it might be a little bit loud in your ear holes, depending on how you're listening, my apologies. Uh, I promise a much subtler and smoother experience in your listening experience today. We've got Ryland Englehart on the podcast, who's somebody I've wanted to have on since I saw his documentary, Kiss the Ground, on Netflix. Uh, it is an incredible, incredible documentary on regenerative agriculture, and it's my favorite movie since The Biggest Little Farm. Uh, also, um, an amazing, an amazing film that was, I think, only available on Amazon Prime. Definitely worth watching. Uh, was a huge, both huge inspirations in us starting our farm. Uh, Kiss the Ground was great. We got, they got, we got, they got, I think, Woody Harrelson to narrate it, um, which, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Woody Harrelson fan. You're like, hey, we got Bill Murray to do this. Like, like oh shit. All right, cool. Um, super cool with uh, Woody's overlay. It, you know, it's a, it's a great, it's just really well done. Let me put it that way. I'm rambling about this. It's very well done. Uh, it's easy to access and it paints a very important story of how we heal the earth. Uh, they brought in many experts, people that I've been following for a very long time. I think I even mentioned it to Ryland. Um, Kristen something. I fucking get that wrong. I want to say Kristen Stewart, not the actress. Uh, Kristen something who wrote The Soil Will Save Us uh, is, is one of the featured experts in the film. And she's somebody I first heard back on the Ben Greenfield podcast, I think all the way back in 2017, I want to say, uh, as her book was launching and read that book immediately, was blown away and just loved the content and uh, loved the fact that she's one of the people they reached out to to be in the film. And she does an excellent job of explaining carbon sequestration and what happens in the soil cycles and doing it in a way that's not boring, but in a way that could grab people and... You know, part of the reason this grabs people and part of the reason this grabs me is because it shows us that when we live in right relation with the land, that it doesn't just solve one thing. It solves many things. It solves if, it, if it's good for the soil, it's good for the grass. If it's good for the grass, it's good for the animals. If it's good for the animals, it's good for humans. And it's good for the totality of the environment, meaning um, as we heal the soil, the ability to sequester carbon increases uh, exponentially. And in that, we can reverse a lot of the issues that we see today. Now, it doesn't matter if you stand on the side of the fence of uh, Apocalypse Never by Michael Schallenberger, in which, you know, the, all the, the the tales of the left wing around climate change is complete nonsense. Of course, this is a terrible paraphrasing. Um, and that there is no real energy crisis because nuclear works and it is quite safe. And, you know, X, Y, and Z that goes through that book. That's a phenomenal book. If you want to, um, listen to one side of the story or the other side of the story where you're like, ah, we're going to burn alive. It's going to be like living in a sauna here in, in 20 years. Um, the other book that, that is the flip side of that, I think is a fictional novel, the ministry of the future. And that author actually has written a number of books that start with the template of, we're going to be living in 100 degree, 80 degree heat waves, which I don't believe. I really don't. Um, is climate change happening? Absolutely. Is it solely caused by us? Um, 
I don't think so. I think the sun has a much, much bigger role to play in that. And that's not letting humans off the, the, off the hot seat by any means. Uh, can we do a better job with the things that we drive? Sure. Are we ready for that yet? I don't know. I got buddies that own Teslas that they say they break down. They're always in the shop. Buddy that works for Tesla and his car is always in the shop. Um, can that technology get to a certain point if we keep feeding it and and participating in it? Sure, no question. I've got solar panels on my house. I'm getting some Tesla walls put in in the next few months um, with the upcoming grid issues that everyone's foreshadowing from the government. I think that's a, a smart move, having kids and living in a place that freezes in the winter and boils in the summer. Um, so that's, uh, you know, I, I do, I do, I do try to put, and that was the other thing that I had an issue with, with Schallenberger on in Apocalypse Never is it's a good technology right now. If that saves on my energy bill and, and it does so in a green way, sure. Um, where is lithium mined? Is that in a green way? Maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe we're still practicing um, or using the same thinking that got us into this position in the first place, right? Like um, to, to solve, to solve the issue. So maybe that's not the overall move in the future, but I love my solar panels. I love having under a hundred dollar a month uh, electricity bill. I think that's cool. You know, I come, especially coming from California, where it was God knows how much with PG&E. Um, all right, I've, I've 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 digressed enough on that. Ryland's awesome. The documentary is awesome. Kiss the ground. Make sure you watch it. Also, watch the Biggest Little Farm on Prime. Um, what else? I think y'all have already seen Food Inc. by now. I've been talking about it for years. If you haven't, that's a good one to watch as well. But all these things layer into a particular story in a particular way in which we grow our own food that is in right relation. What does that mean? It means that it is a benefit to all. It is a benefit not just to all of humanity, but it is a benefit to all of the microorganisms, all of the plants, all of the things that, that live in a functioning ecosystem. And I spent a lot of time in conversation with Daniel Firth Griffith on this exact topic. Um, out at, at uh, Tim Scholl Farms, who, you know, he was recently on the podcast. He wrote Wild Like Flowers. Um, and he's brilliant. He's, he's a mentor. He's somebody that I'm going to study with on an annual basis. At minimum, we're going to go out at least once a year to spend a week with him in Virginia. And so these are all important pieces of conversation for us. Um, and I think that this documentary does such a good job of capturing the importance of what we're doing and and. And really, you know, from, from Daniel's perspective, continue to give him a shout out, like, how do we do this sustainably, right? Because I can regenerate my land, but if I'm doing it at the cost of someone else's land, is that truly regenerative? Is it sustainable? Um, how many inputs do I have on my land? All these things. And not all of that's covered in the film. The film does a great job of, of giving people your entry point, you know, and Ryland and I talk uh, quite a bit about his background, which is phenomenal. Uh, I knew that they had opened up a bunch of vegan stores that did quite well, um, to get to hear where he stands with that now, um, having participated in regenerative agriculture is amazing. And I'm happy he has the balls to talk about, um, his experience with food and, and how it's come full circle. So, all right, that's enough on the, on the topic of regenerative agriculture, uh, from my standpoint before this episode. There are a number of ways you guys can support this podcast. First and foremost, leave us a five-star rating. I'm actually going to give you a gift for that. Organifi wants to give you a gift for that. Uh, it does matter. It helps people get eyes and ears on the show. So what's going to happen now is 
Organifi wants the audience to help the podcast by leaving a five-star review with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life. That's what I've been asking for at the beginning of every podcast for the last couple of years. If you do that, we will select uh, a winner at the end of each month, randomly select a winning listener. And I, I say random, but if it's a fucking dope review, like, hey, randomly you've won. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's random like that. Sorry. So leave a good review. And uh, I'm going to send you my favorite Organifi product. End of each month, all the way through the end of the year. So that makes a short September, October, November, December. We've got a minimum of four winners. And if we keep, and if this keeps going well, we're going to just keep the ball rolling. And, uh, and so I really appreciate this from Organifi. Love you, Drew. Um, we've got one of their higher ups. I forget her name. I'm sorry, but she's coming on the podcast soon. So we'll dive right into more good stuff around Organifi. But I love their company. They have made eating healthy very convenient. And convenience isn't always a bad thing. Convenience actually can lead to consistency. And consistency is absolutely essential if you want to build momentum. So whether that's through Dr. Diet, continually putting good things in your body till you start to feel different and actually get that and grab it and go, holy shit, that made a big difference. I'm going to stick to this thing as opposed to, you know, crash course dieting, cutting calories, and all of a sudden you're starving and you're like, oh man, this bagel looks too good. I can't help myself. Or the cinnamon roll looks too good. I can't help myself. And then you go off the wagon for three days and you're constantly on this roller coaster. No, consistency is king. That builds momentum. And it's that habit change that's actually going to change your life. So these guys have done that through food. They've made it convenient to access really healthy superfoods that are low carbohydrate, that tastes phenomenal. My kids absolutely love their stuff. The red, the green, the gold, you name it. And many other amazing products that they continue to make. Check it all out at Organifi.com slash KKP and use code KKP at checkout for 20% off. Once again, www.organifi.com slash KKP. And do not forget KKP at checkout for 20% off everything in the store. These guys are one of the fattest deals in the industry. They're one of my longest sponsors and I absolutely love them. And don't forget, if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or Google, wherever you can, that will enter you in to a contest, likely not against a ton of people. I'm going to be honest. I mean, we have a good amount of listeners. Uh, We've been the top 10 in health and fitness two out of the last five years and still do very well, even with the, the, the data crunch, wherever they decided to start, when Apple decided to start changing the algorithm on how they view your downloads. Still, we have a lot of listeners, and I still doubt you're going to be up against a lot of people leaving reviews. So you have a very high likelihood of winning this if you leave us a review, and that really does help the show. So thank you, Organifi, for doing this, and I look forward to the upcoming podcast we have. Again, with somebody from Organifi, I'm terribly sorry that I'm forgetting her name right now. We're also brought to you today by Ketone IQ. Ketone IQ is a phenomenal product um, that really has changed the game of the ketone industry. I, I mentioned this on a, on a podcast with one of their founders that I created ketones at on it. It was one of the first things I said we needed to do to Aubrey. I was like, we have to have our own ketone product. We created a, a beta-hydroxybutyrate powder that was really good. It was not a ketone ester. It worked. It raised blood ketone levels. It felt great. And it wasn't this. Like ketone esters are its own thing. And Ketone IQ has mastered this. Uh, these used to be $30 a shot, and I would take it only on race day or only when I was going to have a double day uh, doing MMA. And a lot of people say, oh, ketones aren't going to help with explosive and glycolytic bullshit. They help you recover and they help your brain. 
So anything that gives your brain, the central governor of your body, more energy and endurance is going to allow your muscles to work harder, point blank. So is it going to help me lift higher in the one to three rep range? No. Will it help me recover faster? You betcha. Will it give me mental clarity on my third or final uh, working set? Absolutely. And perhaps more important for most listeners is this can help you go at a caloric deficit. So if you're trying to intermittent fast and you're like, fuck, I'm flatlining when I skip breakfast or I'm flatlining if I just wait till dinner and do the warrior diet, this can give you a spark that helps you get through the day. It helps you show up to your workouts. It helps you become consistent in the fasting or in the thing that you're doing to ship, shape shift. There we go. Ship, shape shift your body and, and get it to the, to the point where you're going to be optimized. I use this stuff for just about everything. I'm on it right now, pre-podcast. I am on it uh, when I jump into the gym. I take it before boxing. Again, that's a glycolytic workout. But if my brain power improves, I'm going to have more to do with, with the glycolytic. And it just works that way. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, and of course, for endurance training, this stuff is phenomenal. Anytime you go for a run, whether that's one mile or a marathon, uh, you will be surprised how much this helps you giving you energy and allowing your body to burn a clean fuel that is less oxidative than carbohydrates. Point blank. This stuff works. It is the best. And they've improved the flavor. They've improved the cost. It is not $30 a shot. Thank God anymore. Um, you can get a one-month supply for a very good price. And they just recently came out with RTDs. There's these little two-ounce shots. So on the go, these things are phenomenal. You crack it, you give it a little shake, crack it open and pound it. They've improved the flavor and the taste. It does no longer taste like jet fuel, like Peter Tia once mentioned. Um, it just tastes good. I mean, it, it goes down smooth. It's not the best tasting, but it goes down smooth. And what you get from that is far, far, far better than any other ketone product out there. Visit ketone-iq.com and use promo code KKP at checkout to save 10%. Again, that's K-E-T-O-N-E-I-Q.com and use promo code KKP and you're going to get 10% off everything in the store. Uh, it's no wonder these guys, HVMN has an active $6 million contract with the U.S. Special Operations Command. These guys are doing great things in the world. I absolutely love them. Um, both are co-founders I've become friends with, and I really want to hang and have them on the podcast more, but they have become a mainstay in my supplement uh, routine, and they should for you guys as well. So check it out, ketone-iq.com, promo code KKP at checkout, 10% off everything in the store. We are also brought to you today by Desnuda Organic Tequila. Tequila. You're like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> this is a health show for, for the most part. We do get into the weeds on what health is, uh, and we go counterculture and counter-narrative quite a bit. Why talk about alcohol? Well, alcohol is, truthfully, it's, it's the world's drug of choice outside of coffee. Alcohol is the world's drug of choice. It is the thing that happens socially. Nobody's serving LSD at weddings. People serve alcohol at weddings. And there are choices you can make when it comes to alcohol that actually do make one hell of a difference. How do I feel the next day? Am I paying for my experience on credit? That's something that I've really thought about. Um, Burning Man just ended. And I thought about my last burn with my wife. We went hard for five days straight. And you know we didn't have many expenses while we were there thankfully, but we did pay for everything on credit. We paid for our experience on credit because for the next three weeks, we had to pay that back. Our neurochemistry was flatlining. It was not great on the back end of that experience. And, uh, you know, seeing a lot of my friends trickle back into town from the burn, I'm sure they had an amazing experience, but I was, you know, deadlifting 365 for sets of 10 yesterday. 
I feel amazing. I've been going to boxing class. I've been going to jujitsu. I hit sheepdog level two. Like this is the stuff that I want to focus on right now and feel good about it. And when I want to celebrate, when there is something to celebrate about, when there is a way to connect to friends, Desnuda is easily the best organic tequila I've ever had. It's clean. It's, it's phenomenally tasting and it's a premium tequila that is the best on the market. They launched in January of 2022 and in Indianapolis based co-founders, Nick Bloom and Brian Eddings selfishly wanted a tequila that didn't have them feeling terrible after a night of drinking and a spirit that fit into their health and wellness lifestyle. Out of necessity, they created Disnuda, which means naked. Their blue Weber agave plants have been organically grown in Jalisco's Amatian region for seven years. Desnuda is certified USDA organic and GMO and additive free, meaning zero pesticides or herbicides for seven long years. Their domestic competitors grow for only three to four years, all the while using pesticides and herbicides. It's got zero sugar. Zero sugar is added to Desnuda, giving their tequila a low, nearly non-existent glycemic index. Other tequilas on the market that do add sugar tend to yield larger profits at the expense of your nasty hangovers the next day. This is an important piece. I've been been saying this about dry farm wines. The sugar added to wine, along with sulfides, dyes, and all the other shit, pesticides, herbicides, that's what's fucking you up the next day. If you remove that stuff, you can have a good buzz within reason. You can't, obviously, you drink a bottle of this stuff, you're not going to feel good the next day. You're not even going to feel the good that night. But when you drink within reason with a clean, organic product, you're going to wake up the next day and feel fine. That's just how it goes. And obviously that takes responsibility. And they always say, oh, no, drink responsible, blah, 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 with some shit alcohol on TV. This is not that shit alcohol. This is the creme de la creme that has been hand-selected from people that actually understand health and wellness. They're like you and me. They go to the gym three, four, five days a week, and they have jobs and they have families, and they still want to participate in the world's drug, but they want to do it in a way that is going to leave them more whole than when they started. Desnuda Organic Tequila is the very finest in alcohol. It's got all of the good stuff with none of the bad stuff. And when you drink within reason, you're going to have a great time and you're not going to hurt the next day for it. Check it out. Order Desnuda at www.desnudatequila.com and use the code KKP for a 15% discount on your first purchase. That's the first purchase. That's not a wrong thing. That's how they're doing it. Your first purchase, get 15% off at desnuda.com using code KKP. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Aura. Thank you, Aura, for sponsoring this podcast. Do you know what the fastest growing crime in America is? For years, this crime rate's been surging and affecting millions of Americans. I'm talking about identity theft, and it happens to one in 20 Americans. Yet despite this, those who have had their identity stolen are often shocked when it happens. Imagine trying to log into your email account one day only to see the passwords had changed hours ago. Then you start getting notifications or activity from your bank, credit cards, crypto accounts, or you get text messages from your friends like, hey, dude, uh, what's happening on Facebook right now? Are you in Nigeria and need five grand? That's when the feelings of panic, fear, anxiety, paranoia, disbelief, shock, anger, frustration, and guilt all set in. That's why I'm excited to partner with Aura, who is sponsoring this podcast. Aura is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all combined into one easy-to-use app. Aura monitors the dark web for your emails, passwords, and social security numbers and sends alerts fast right to your phone and email. When it comes to fraud, every second matters. Connect your credit and bank accounts and get notified of any changes up to four times faster than Aura's competitors. 
Their VPN allows you to stay anonymous online while keeping your browsing history and personal information safe and encrypted. And their antivirus software will block malware and viruses before they infect your devices. Protect you and your family from America's fastest growing crime. Try Aura free for two weeks and see if you or any of your family's personal information has been compromised. This is awesome, right? You get to try it for free. They're going to run you through their program and they're going to see, is your shit on the dark web? Like, have you been compromised? You get that for free just from signing up with them. And you can cancel at any time within the first 14 days. But protect yourself. Check it out. This is very important. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash A-U-R-A dot com slash K-Y-L-E. Thank you again, Aura, for sponsoring this podcast. And uh, you get to try it for again for free. 14 days. This is awesome. Uh, super convenient. I have it on my iPhone. And you can do a family plan as well, which will hook up a number of devices from iPads to iMacs. Or if you're not into the Apple game, I get it. They've been a little shady the last couple of years. Uh, if you're a Google guy or a PC guy or all that stuff, they've got you covered there. Um, you can get your whole family protected for just a, a slight increase in the fee, and it is worth every penny. Nothing could be worse than having your stuff compromised and not being able to access it and then spending hours on the phone with banks. Um, good luck getting your, your accounts back on Instagram, things like that. It's just very, very hard, very challenging to do. And if you're busy like me, that's not how you want to spend your day. I want to know that I'm protected and not worry about this stuff. And that's what you get with Aura. Aura.com slash Kyle. And you'll get your whole yourself and your family protected. And without further ado, my brother Ryland Englehart on the podcast. Aubrey, like me, is is uh, if I can brag about one thing about the two of us is that we we are connected to really awesome people, and we connect awesome people to awesome people, and that's something that connected us together. But uh, something I'm continually blown away with is since I've known him, it's like magnified my power to do that. But I've also you know ridden in his wake and, and been connected to many awesome people just through him. So it's a fantastic. Uh, it's a fantastic friend to have because he's the friend that plants more seeds for more friends and more awesome people to meet. And I appreciate that about Ob. Yeah, I, I, I would say that, yeah, that's definitely one of my uh, great, great joys in life is being able to um, put amazing people together and, um, yeah, be, be in the wake and joy of uh, the alchemy of human beings coming together uh, such for, you know, that birth create creative and beautiful things. So hell yeah. Well, you had a question and I was like, man, we got to get started here. You asked about the farm I got going. Um, it's actually, I was in Aubrey's ear for the last two years because we worked together in fit for service. And when they shut things down, you know, I, I bought in initially. And then over time I was like, man, stuff really isn't adding up to just to really put it in a little box and shove it aside to not spend too much time on it. And I was saying, you know, our, our events really run face to face we need land where we can still gather the people. You know, there's only so much you can do online. Uh, Charles Eisenstein spoke at one of our events about that, the power of going through, um, not necessarily rite of passage, but your initiatory experiences together, you know, in group. And even just the power of hugging somebody or having conversations face-to-face um, is such an important piece that you can't lose. You can't get that on Zoom or Zencaster like we're on right now. So I look forward to getting to, to meet with you in person. But um, that became such a pressing issue for me because even going to Sedona, which was pretty cool during the pandemic, they still would only allow 20 people at a time. 
and you know we've got 150 to 300 people at our events most of the time and um I was really just in his ear, like, hey, we get you have land there, let's terraform the backyard, let's get this ready. And 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 that was his idea as well. And then I was in his ear a lot about having something local here where we could provide for ourselves um, our own food. We could participate in regenerative and sustainable agriculture, which is something that I've been big on for a long time. And um he was he was about it. And then we'd have land for our events as well, you know, so multifaceted, um, obviously tax deductible because we're, we're using it for business and many things, but also a place where I could steward the land and, and raise my kids on. And we're, we start building our house there uh, in October, but we've been doing a lot of work there. It's, it's, it's almost like a second, not, well, it's full-time at times and then part-time at others, but it, it is definitely a draw. You know, I want to be there as much as possible. I bring my family out there as much as possible. And we've done a lot. We, we, our first phase build out was a 400, a tree, fruit and nut tree, food forest uh, with Chad Johnson, who's a Sepulter understudy. He's been on the podcast. And then um, we put in probably a thousand plants in the ground in, in a matter of three weeks after digging out this spiral. So we, we had, we had, you know, sun up to sundown pretty much all of March and some of April uh, earlier this year. Just so I can land in the place with you. Cause I'm, I'm feeling the disc, you know, this is this is in this is in Arizona or this is in Texas. This property that you're this is, in Lock, this is in Lockhart, Texas. Yeah, sorry Lockhart, for not making Texas. that clear. Yeah, we had we he already had land. He's got like 40 acres in Sedona, which proved to be great during the pandemic because we couldn't bring in. You know, we would have had to split groups like eight different groups of breathwork. We would have taken three days just on breathwork, and a five day event wouldn't cut it. Um, but seeing that pan out, it was like, all right, cool. Let's let's do this in Texas too. That way, we've got multiple locations. And um, so, yeah, we got 118 acres out in Lockhart, Texas, about 30 minutes south of Austin. So really close to the airport. Um, definitely countryside. It's its own deal. It's its own soil type. Um, still get 32 inches of rain a year, which is really, really nice. We just had a nice pour the other day. And, um, yeah, we've been really working on that full steam since we since we got it uh, late, late last year. And uh, that's that's been, a you know, one of the best things, you know, you, do a lot. I've do, done a lot of work with plant medicines and it's really awesome to have those experiences and get illumination. But one of the best ways to ground something is to actually change 3d reality. And so like manipulating the earth and working with it in that way is, is something that just, it's credible. You know, it's incredible for adults to see it, but especially for kids, like when you plant something with your hands and you watch that thing grow, they're like your little babies, you know, <laughs> it's like they're still infants. But I mean, I imagine coming back to that in 20 years when, you know, they're 20, 30 feet high and we've got canopies and it's a whole different microclimate. That's going to be something, it's already is something really special, but it's going to continue to develop. And, and it's been an amazing piece to be a part of that. Wow. Wow. I'm, 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 I'm so much more, I'm so excited to have this conversation. You know, I didn't really, uh, I wasn't present to, you know, um, yeah, what, what your personal passions and what you're, what you're up to, but that's really, really exciting. Um, to hear just bits and pieces of what's being shared, uh, you know, initially. So, so you've been working with Audrey in producing events and, you know, that, that lead people through transformational experiences, through breath work, uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, and bringing people together on land. Um, and now this is a secondary location that will host events is absolutely how you're seeing it. Yeah, we've actually had a few events. I've put people through smaller groups, uh, immersives through fasting, mimicking diets for five days. 
um, with Eric Godzi dropping Jungian psychology on them and, and really trying to get it full circle, you know, different body stuff from while we're fasting, we're doing sauna and cold therapy. We're mobilizing the body, getting in a lot of Dr. Kelly Surrett's work and just tuning the body on every level. And, um, you know, we have our, our first core event of the years every year in March. So we have that out the farm now. Um, we're, we're gearing up for our, for our second annual coming up this in 2023. So really exciting. We've got great people coming out for that. That's, that's again, you know, on the topic of meeting great people, it's always, it's awesome that I get to work so close with Aubrey and, and, um, a couple other coaches, but the fact that we bring in such great people, we were just out in Vegas and Dr. Zach Bush was staying in the same house with us, Jamie wheel, Charles Eisenstein. It was, it was pretty fucking cool. Matias and Stefano, I was like a little kid, you know, <laughs> we're staying up till 4am working. And then I come home, I crash. And right when I wake up, I'm having coffee and just sitting next to these guys, like during conversation, like, fuck yeah, I'm a fly on the wall for the coolest conversations on earth right now. Yeah. I, 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 I love Charles Eisenstein. Um, yeah. The, the, a more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible is definitely a continual, um, yeah, a, a continual notion uh, and thing that I love to be reminded of and remember. Um, yeah, because there is, as 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 easy as it is to get cynical, uh, there is a place within our hearts that is pure and good and holds the potential of so much beauty. And if we can continue to connect to that, uh, we can continue to be a, a source of love and light in the world in the most sincere and real way and um so yeah absolutely brother yeah that was that was actually the one of the driving factors to create our last event arcadia was that very notion the more the, the, the title you know a more beautiful world our hearts know is possible it's like let's let's do the damn thing and um he, he he crushed it speaking it was it was probably my favorite time listening to him and zach speak on stage same with jamie um but let's rewind. You know, we we're, we're, we're 10 minutes into this thing. Um, tell me about what was life like growing up for you? What were your passions as a child? And what, what, what would you learn in school? And, and what drove you to get into what you're into now? Mm, yeah, thank you. Uh, let's see. So, um, yeah, my, my childhood was definitely um, unique, I would say, in that um, you know, my, my father was, uh, sort of didn't go to college, um, was a back to the, back to the lander, graduated high school and went and lived at a teepee, uh, in, you know, uh, upstate New York, um, near Lake Champlain, um, for a couple winters cooking every meal on, uh, campfire in a, in a teepee, uh, met my mom uh they got pregnant with my sister at i think 20 and 21 you know i came you know a couple years later uh they they had they had taken a uh a vw van from new york out to california to laguna beach to uh study uh with uh, a maharishi uh the tm meditation guys uh sort of understudy a guy named Charlie Lutz and uh well well out there on that on that trip got pregnant with me and um you know had to get serious about life and went back to went went back to New, went back to New York and ended up purchasing 
with the help of their parents, a, a, a 20 acre plot of land in upstate New York, um, in, uh, outside of Ithaca. And, um, my dad and who had married my mom, uh, his twin or his brother married my mom's twin sister. So brothers married twin sisters, uh, and they were all living in one house on one bank account, uh, you know, in this, uh, sort of homestead situation, kind of a, a little bit of a Hunyet house, um, an old, on an old dairy farm, uh, where we had vegetable garden and fruit, apple orchard and a, a pond. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, Waldorf school education, um, and yeah, a lot of, uh, yeah, unconventional in singing songs, uh, believing in fairies and gnomes, <laughs> uh, you know, the <laughs> elementals of the, the, you know, the living universe, uh, did, you know, did your family, I, sorry yeah. to jump in, but did your family practice biodynamic farming since they were into Steiner's education standpoint? Um, you know, er, early on, um, early on, uh, they were definitely aware of Steiner, uh, and there was a little bit of knowledge, but at, at, we were, you know, mostly, you know, gardening with some apple orchards. And so there wasn't a deep, deep knowledge. My dad more got into Steiner and biodynamics sort of in a chapter, you know, sort of in the Cafe Gratitude, Gracias Madre chapter of life uh, later on when he, you know, moved out of San Francisco and bought a piece of property and, you know, called it Beloved Farm, um, which was about 20 years ago. Um, so at that time he did get more into biodynamics. Um, but that, that, that's, that, that, that kind of rush it. That, so just, yeah, I guess, yeah, ba basically, you know, Waldorf education, parents, you know, deep sort of in their spiritual exploration. Uh, they had, you know, different guru teacher, uh, spiritual guide throughout different phases of my life. Um, but definitely led me to a, yeah, a relationship to that God is love and um, God is uh, the totality of the universe, that there's this whole, um, yeah, there's, uh, that we're all, we're all, all cells in one body. Um, and how do we be the best cell in this body? Uh, as an expression of service to um, love and to the divine. And um, so, you know, that was, that was, uh, you know, that, 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 that was sort of the basis of sort of the philosophy uh, that I came from as a, as a child, um, you know, within, you know, education, I went from Waldorf school into public school um, which was actually a, a pretty big challenge because um, I learned that I hadn't uh, learned a lot of the the basic standard educational pieces, um, and I also learned that I, you know, was under a normal framework was dyslexic, you know, had attention deficit disorders, you know, I uh, 
I, and so I ended up struggling through high school of sort of finding my way into the resource room and finding, you know, that was the way that I could sort of make it through education was, um, you know, essentially pull, it wasn't even like, you know, I, I basically found myself, uh, needing the resource room and pulling the resource room towards me such that I could kind of survive through high school just because I was, uh, you know, I read much slower and my, my sort of normal education cognition was, um, behind. Um, but I would say where that, where that led me to was, uh, a level of being able to create, uh, human relationships and emotional intelligence and, uh, the ability to connect deeply with adults, um, as a child and really dive into much more, uh, meaningful conversations, um, as a way to create relationship, you know, whether it was a survival mechanism or a, just a way to, um, because I, I, w I wasn't able to sort of survive in just the general sense of the, the learning, the education. Um, and so, yeah, if I found myself much more, uh, connecting to the nuance of the human experience as the place that I found relationship and found connection, found joy in life. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that I, I can count maybe on one hand the amount of teachers that really took me under their wing, but they stick out like a sore thumb, you know, and it happened at exactly the right intervals. But when it did, like I, my grades would excel, everything would excel. And I didn't, I didn't do great uh, in school. I've, I've learned far more. I talk about this a lot too on the podcast, but I've, I've read more books and, and, and learned far more post-college than I ever did prior to college and in college. And, and fighting was a big impetus for that. But, you know, having, um, having direct contact with somebody that's willing to take you under their wing and mentor you and, and having those adults that really help steer and shift and broaden you through story and through conversation is such an, it's an easy, it's an easier way for me to grasp and understand things. It's one of the reasons why podcasts land so well. It's like I'm in the room listening to two people have a conversation. Uh, it's an excellent way to learn. I just finished the book Ishmael and the story of B. You've probably read them. They're, they're incredible books by Daniel Quinn. Mm. And the way he frames the fiction is through uh, two people, you know, hanging out with each other, a man and a gorilla. And the gorilla is teaching this guy through story. And it's really cool because if he was telling me the shit, <laughs> if he was trying to say factually, I think um, a lot of people would have a hard time digesting it. But how he lays it out and the way that he does is it's one that makes it far easier to grasp. And I really appreciate that style of writing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, my, I've, I've actually, mo I think I've learned majority of what I know through dialogue, through conversations. I've read very few books and I've, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, I've, I've tried to make a practice of, you know, putting, you know, but there's actually, I actually, you know, truth be told, there's actually a, a wound that I still carry, which is sort of this, um, concern of you know traditional education or my ability to learn is still limited because of my story of learning disabilities and you know where i where i have been able to thrive is in the human interaction of learning um so yeah uh, it, it's I'm, I'm just seeing that in 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 this moment that um yeah that that actually 
and actually it's one of the the places that I've found a little bit of um you know depression and disconnection and struggle over the last couple of years, you know, such as many people. But you know, for me, you know, I, I worked in restaurants the last 20 years of serving people what I what I call hand-to-hand service, which is like the thing that has, you know, lit me up and kept me alive. And, you know, I feel like I learned through the interaction of dialogue and, you know, just operating through the interface of technology is, um, you know, I can see is sort of, I'm a a little bit, there's an aspect of wilting the, the energetic wilting without the human, the human connection. Um, which actually brings me back to a story of, you know, a, a critical piece of education and also, you know, something you spoke to earlier with, you know, plant medicine, which has definitely, you know, been a big part of my life. Um, but when I was 18, um, my folks took me to, uh, you know, this place in Marin County, um, where they, the, where the Santa Di- there was a, yeah, ceremonial, uh, um, yeah, ceremonial church ceremony where they, you know, using the plant medicine and, um, you know, had this experience and it was, you know, 2008, um, when the dot com thing had taken place and I was, you know, I, I had, I, I didn't go to college because I didn't think I, I was insufficient to, you know, further education because of sort of my story. I, you know, was working in San Francisco at a dot com company as like the, the maintenance man, um, filling the coolers with, you know, Costco, you know, sparkling beverages and pretzels. And, um, and I was kind of in this big, you know, challenge of where do I take my life? Where do I go? What's my purpose? You know, all these things that we, we oftentimes confront in our, in ourselves. And, um, and so, that, that's kind of what I was faced with. My folks take me to this this ceremony. They tell me, all right, it's going to be this meditation. We're going to take this tea and we're going to have this experience, um, you know, and it'll hopefully give us uh, some communion with our, you know, our divine essence. And so we go, it's like 30 people, everyone's dressed in white and blue. And there's sort of the little symbol of the, the church on the, on, on the patch of the facilitators and, we're standing in a circle in a, in a circle of redwoods. We take this very, very bitter tea and, um, you know, I'm, I'm essentially watching as watching as my cogn- as my body kind of gets taken over with this experience of, you know, s- something's taking over and, you know, you're standing up and reading these, these Icaros and, and these kind of Spanish, uh, indigenous hymns also mis- mixed with like Christianity you know, songs and we're sort of singing these well, stepping to the left, stepping to the right. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the eyes of compassion of people feeling this experience of, um, uh, you know, I'm going away and I'm not having control of this experience. And I see, you know, I, I see my mom kind of looking a little bit like totally, you know, sort of tongue to the side, a little bit, you know, just out there. And, I start to go through this process of fear of uh, seeing what's around me and my mind is going into paranoia. Where am I? What am I doing? What is this? Is this a cult? Just all these things. Um, And, you know, more and more fear, more and more contraction, and then blackout. 
to a completely new presence of life, uh, just a, a, a new, like total innocence, no awareness, can't, don't even know what and who human, be like no cognition of understanding, yet I'm still looking through my eyes and trying to, you know, put the pieces back together. And, um, you know, ultimately it comes to this moment of surrender um, where I surrender to trust this experience. Um, and in that, there becomes this uh, presence of love and energy where uh, I am sort of a, you could see it like um, being plugged into the wall of uh, an energy source and well being plugged into the wall, feeling this vibrational uh uh sort of continuity back and forth feeling this just presence of love taking me over and uh you know in that moment there was this there was this recognition of this fear and concern of where i was in my life and what i was you know should i go towards technology and should i go towards um you know uh chasing the technology dream of San Francisco and the dot com era, or um, and 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 it was clear, like the vi the seeing the visual experience of being you know plugged into the the matrix of technology, um, and ultimately what that would you know it, whether it was myself or just in general humanity of you know the condition of life being you know plugged into technology and seeing a very grim existence explicitly at least for me. And, and then seeing this sort of counter reality, which was visually me seeing, uh, you know, my fingers, my shoulders being sort of the, the soil, the, the, the side of the mountain, um, seeing the, the viewpoint of what was happening in that circle, my experience from the viewpoint of this sort of red tail hawk that was circling, um, you know, having the, the experience of, you know, being connected to the life in the soil, um, and ultimately, uh, a, a feminine, um, mother presence, um, you know, basically calling for my devotion, calling for my service, calling for me to, uh, to care for her and to protect her. And, um, and the experience of, you know, the honor of that call, um, like to, to, you know, it brings me to, it, it makes me weepy in this moment. Um, but the, just the, the honor of serving that level of purity and that level of, uh, life and that source of love and being able to, uh, contribute and serve her. Um, you know, so that, that happened at 19. Um, and, you know, was clearly, uh, you know, still 20, 20, three years later, you know, still a very present experience. Um, and, you know, I think that, that, that really set the, the pathway of, you know, the trajectory of my life, which has really been about, um, you know, being a source of love, you know, how, how to be, um, in the world as a source of love and that really being the, the guiding, uh, tenet, um, of, uh, what, 
what I'm what I'm what I'm here for. And you know, even even in the um, you know in in the masculine sense, it actually it it, it got articulated. I have a, a tattoo. I only have one tattoo. It says "Be and Love" on my on my arms. And you know, actually, um, a couple years after that experience, me and my dad went through something called the New Warrior Training, which was a uh, you know men's work training um, where I witnessed the most you know, intense vulnerability of men being with each other, um, you know, to a degree that I, you know, never seen possible, um, or seen, you know, in, in my experience and a level of trust, vulnerability and openness, um, that became so illuminated, uh, and through a meditation, uh, reflecting at the end of that experience, um, you know, led me to this idea of, uh, who I am and what I'm here for is to be a presence of love. And that, that as a, the initiation, um, into manhood, which is oftentimes, you know, in our modern culture, we don't really have any threshold of initiation. It's, you know, um, and, and so here was this threshold of initiation, which was questioning the question of, um, you know, who are you choosing to be, as a man and what is, what is masculinity uh, and, you know, in, 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 a, in a conscious, uh, aware way of what, um, is masculinity going to be in your life and who are you going to be as a man in the world? Uh, and the, the insight, the download, the, 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 the feedback loop was, um, being, being a source of love. And, you know, that commitment led me to ask my dad, Hey, Let's go. I never thought about getting a tattoo, but let, let's go and get this on our arms, where uh, where uh, on, on the place where the uh, David Carradine in the Kung Fu series got the dragon <laughs> into his arms, uh, and I was like, <laughs> "All right, that's that that that's gonna be um, you know we'll we'll sear this in facing ourselves as a reminder." for um what what life is for and what what we're what we're here to do knowing that the condition of human beings is that we continuously have amnesia and we forget who we are and um so if we can leave a memento note uh, a sticky note to remind us uh of of who we are when we forget uh that will be that that one note that one message uh that will remind us and you know get us back on track when we've you know lost the plot that is such an incredible story. <laughs> that is so good, brother. That's so good. Uh, thank you for diving deep. You know, I've sat with uh, the bitter tea, as we'll call it today, um, 27 times. And um, I've had some experiences with my father. I've had one with my mother. Um, neither one of them were able to fully let go. And thankfully, I was able to have a different experience um, with psilocybin and MDMA with my dad, which was ultra deep. He felt like the bitter tea was prepping him for that night. So. Mm. Um, so, uh, to be able to experience that with a loved one is, you know, I've done it many times with my, with my wife, Natasha, it's, 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 there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, you know, like to really have that. But I think of the direction I got came at a pivotal point in my life when I was in fighting and then leaving fighting. And, um, you know, I think of how much pain and suffering would have been alleviated had I had direction like that prior to fighting and prior to, to, to college even. 
um, such an important piece. It truly, that bitter tea is such earth medicine. You know, it is such Pachamama medicine and it, and it really does direct us home into a deeper understanding of, of what we are and what we're here to do. And, and that's such a beautiful, beautiful story, man. It's such an inspiring story. Mm. At what point did you decide now, I mean, with carrying that with you, um, and obviously you're, you're born and raised on a farm, you know, you've got, you've got all this background. Um, what was leading you up to, to the documentary? You know, what stuff was coming out? What books were you reading? What was kind of directing you to like, Hey man, this is something I gotta, I gotta put together. Yeah. So, you know, really it was, um, you know, my, my path went from, you know, high school, I moved to the West coast to try to become a pro snowboarder. Uh, you know, that, that ended up, you know, uh, I had a couple years doing that, which was fun. And then through a life tragedy, I needed to go help my sister in Los Angeles. But yeah, so that, that, that brought me to, uh, Los Angeles. I had a whole chapter in the music business, uh, building a recording studio with my sister in, in the music business. Um, and then, um, that, that sort of fell apart um, around the Nabster time and the music business falling apart. Um, and you know, I've always, uh, I, I've always leaned towards healing, um, uh, food as medicine. Uh, you know, I've always been sort of in unlikely circles, giving people advice on, you know, health, wellness, and well-being. um, you know, in my, in my early twenties, um, you know, when the health and wellness thing wasn't really a thing. Um, and so, uh, that, that ended up leading to, um, that, that ended up leading to my, my folks, my, my father and step, oh, oh actually, so a critical piece was I, I left home and really wanted to, you know, make it on my own. I, I you know, I, I wanted to make it on my own. I wanted to make it without my family. I wanted to sort of prove that I was, you know, and, that was, you know, a journey that had its ups and downs. Um, but ultimately after the recording studio bit, um, my folks were starting a, a restaurant in San Francisco called Cafe Gratitude. Um, and I had been working, uh, at a place called Follow Your Heart in the Valley, which is the place that made the whole vegan mayonnaise, veganaise thing, um, that people have probably seen. Um, and so I, I'd always been into food, wellness, and um, my folks were starting this restaurant. Uh, it was humbling to eat. At the time, it felt like it was a, a backstepping to go back and you know do something with my parents. Um, but ultimately, it was uh, an, a, you know I, I, I called them up and said, "Hey, I'd love to come and learn the business." Um, and then you know I had a girlfriend in LA at the time. Can I come learn the business in a year or two and come back to LA and open a restaurant there? Uh, he of course was happy to receive his son to come back and, you know, work in this, um, you know, business, uh, experiment that he was creating. Uh, and so I moved to San Francisco, uh, this is in 2004 and, you know, we helped them open the second restaurant, third one, and, you know, in sequence, you know, open seven restaurants in the next five years, six years in San Francisco, you know, both Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre. Um, and you're familiar with those restaurants or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of my, I don't, I'm not sure that I've been there though. It's I, I grew up in Sunnyvale and Cupertino. I've been to the city a whole bunch of times. 
uh, throughout my life, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I've been there. I've always heard of it though. Both of them. Yeah. So it, it, it definitely in an era was like the, the health and wellness restaurant of the West coast and, you know, a total social experiment in, you know, raw plant-based foods, uh, you know, totally clean ingredients. You know, we didn't have a stove or, uh, you know, it was quinoa and miso broth were the only hot things in the early days. Um, the whole restaurant was a, designed around a transformational board game called The Abounding River, um, which was uh, a board game that was guiding people into an abundant state of consciousness. Uh, you know, and it was literally a game that would, you'd pull cards um, that would have you inquire into questions that would shift dialogue and conversation. And the, the restaurant was designed to be this virtual game to bring you into that uh, state of gratitude, cafe gratitude. Uh, and so that really became, you know, my identity, my life was like being the uh, exuberant, eccentric uh, sort of uh, muse of cafe gratitude uh, and really being an, an embodiment of uh, this energy of love, gratitude, kindness, service. And, you know, that was, you know, ultimately like a, a, a 10 year run of my life was just in hospitality, community, feeding people, serving people, um, amazing experience. Uh, and, uh, that led me to, you know, I, I started, uh, my folks had developed, um, some different tools. They had, they'd written a book called sacred commerce, uh, they had developed some workshops, uh, that I started leading, um, as, uh, and that actually brought me to New Zealand, um, where I was going to, well, actually, did you ever see the film? May I be Frank? I made a, I made a film called may I be Frank. Um, I didn't see it. No. Um, yeah. So uh, for those that don't know, again, cafe gratitude was in San Francisco and, and, and all, now in Los Angeles, but plant-based organic restaurants. And one of the unique things about the restaurant is, um, you know, the whole menu is designed around affirmation. So uh, if to order a coffee, you get to say, uh, I am courageous. Uh, so, and then when I bring you your coffee, I say, you are courageous. And I look you in your eyes and I, you know, bring the presence of, um, you know, truth and reality and sincerity. Um, and, you know, with a, with a playful spirit, not with some, you know, dogmatic sincerity, but with or sincerity, but not some dogmatic, you know, truism about it. Um, and so one day a guy by the name of Frank Ferrante is about, you know, 300 pounds, um, in his mid fifties walks into cafe gratitude. And, um, he asked at, you know, he, he, you know, he's like, what kind of place is this place for recovering people? Cause gratitude is a big thing in recovery. You know, uh, I say, well, we're all recovering from something. Um, but ended up getting into a conversation. I ended up hearing his life story. Um, and one of the unique things about Cafe Gratitude is we have a question of the day. Uh, question could be, what are you grateful for? Uh, what do you love about your life? What moves you from your head to your heart? And it's, you know, at, at this point, at this day and age, there's lots of, you know, people understand like questions that prompt new dialogue. But again, 20 years ago, that was pretty a unique thing in a restaurant to have a question we're not only curating your food, but we're also curating uh, your potential conversation that you're having over over food. 
And so the, the question the day that he walked in was, uh, was uh, what's one thing you want to do before you die? And he said, wow, um, what I want to do before I die, well, I, I, I want to fall in love one more time before I die, and I don't think anyone's going to love me because I don't love myself. And um, I, was, I was struck by that moment. I was struck by that conversation. And I had had, a, I had had an idea that it would be amazing to use the framework and philosophy of Cafe Gratitude um, to take someone from sickness to health. And, um, and so in that moment, I knew that this was the guy. And I asked him if he'd want to try an experiment and allow us to feed him and nurture him and coach him from his current state of, you know, he'd been on antidepressants for 10 years and had diabetes or had uh, hepatitis C. And, um, and I, I just, you know, just off a whim asked him if he wanted, you know, didn't own a camera, never made a film before, uh, but was clear that was going to ask him and he asked him and he said, yes, we ended up buying a camera and making a film called May I Be Frank, which shows this man's transformation of uh, healing uh, from a physical sense. He loses a lot of weight, uh, but ultimately he sheds a lot of trauma, emotional pain, uh, healing. And, um, you know, you see this, you know, this, this old, this old dog learning new tricks and, and, and becoming new again in his innocence uh, to life. And um, so anyways, I created that. I created that film with some friends um, in the context of the restaurant as an expression of the restaurant. Um, that brought me to New Zealand. Um, by the way, Frank actually lives in Sedona. He'd be a great guy to have oh, come cool. and be a part of one of your events. Uh, that would be now, awesome. He he helps people in on the recovery journey, um, but he's still healthy and well and in love. Uh, he has a love in his life, and uh, you know his his. his his life really, yeah, in a beautiful way, uh, turned around. Um, so anyways, me and him got invited to go to New Zealand, um, to speak at a healthy living conference, show the film, uh, share about the transformation that ensued from it. I, I also got, you know, one was going to give a talk on sacred commerce, which was, you know, this philosophy that was imbued in the work culture of cafe gratitude. And, um, so I went there and, you know, part of it was like, at the time I was thinking I was hot shit. I was like, you know, we're in LA, we've brought health and wellness to LA. You know, I moved to LA really with this, like, you know, I, I, I've always, um, I, I've always had an, an exuberance and an enthusiasm for like possibility that is not, is, is somehow like, I'm, I'm not grounded in reality, but my enthusiasm somehow creates some reality around my, you know, it's like, uh, you know, most it's like, you have no idea how that's going to happen. And mostly I don't have any idea how it's going to happen. <laughs> some reason the people and things come around me, um, you know, in, in the wake of the, the, the conviction and enthu enthusiasm for something being able to happen. So anyways, um, you know, and, and yeah, my vision for Cafe Gratitude was like, all right, we're going to change the world through bringing health and wellness to Los Angeles, the belly of the beast, the, you know, sort of if we can create health in the belly, 
you know, early understanding of microbiome, then we can create, you know, health in the, in the, in the whole body. And, um, and that was really the source of our, you know, intention for Cafe Gratitude coming to LA was uh, to bring that more to the mainstream. So anyways, we were in LA, it was, uh, you know, it became a huge buzz. It became, you know, one of the most popular restaurants in LA. Uh, you know, two, we opened in 2011 and, um, you know, packed, packed. We thought, we thought we'd be doing like, you know, four to 5,000 a day. We're doing, you know, $22,000 in sales a day, packed at, you know, can't get in, you know, turning, you know, turning celebrities away. Sorry, we have no room. You know, it's just, um, and we're like, how is this happening? Um, it, you know, it's just, it, it was an unbelievable lightning, you know, lightning in a bottle. So anyways, I, I went to New Zealand thinking, you know, like I knew it all. I was on top of the game of sustainability, this, you know, conscious capitalism business. Um, and basically found myself in an audience of a panel discussion called can human beings sustain themselves on planet earth. And basically five experts spoke and they all said, were, you know, in many words, effed and that, you know, it's much worse than we thought. And, um, and, you know, and speaking about ocean acidification and the loss of phytoplankton, speaking about, you know, the permafrost and the methane being released there, speaking about deforestation, you know, just all these things. Um, and the last guy who spoke was a guy by the name of Graham Sait. And he basically said, you know, sort of, choking back, you know, the emotionality of the, the intensity of the moment, you know, what they're saying is true. Um, but there's a blind spot and that blind spot is human beings don't see ourselves as part of nature. We see ourselves as separate. So we see our solutions as separate from nation, nature and nature is the solution. Soil is the solution. Humus can save humanity. If we'd humble ourselves, if we'd be humus, if we'd hum, humus, humility, humor, uh, and humus all have the, the same hum Latin root, which is, you know, uh, of and for the earth. Uh, and, you know, if we could humble our hubris and, uh, and, and actually see the intelligence of nature, see the brilliance of this living system that we're a part of, and take care of our soil and grow and do agriculture in a way that honors the systems of nature, we could actually heal and reverse the challenges and the problems and the environmental catastrophes that are you know, on the horizon. We can literally turn this ship around if we could do agriculture different. It could go arguably from the most destructive system on the planet to the system that could be the great redeemer. And I'm thinking I know everything about organic agriculture because I'm, you know, one of the, you know, most happening organic vegan restaurants in California. And I have no idea what he's talking about. I, 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 I have no framework of understanding of what he's proposing and what he's offering as a solution. And yet it's like, to me, it's a, uh, a spiritual awakening of the 10th power, like a thousand suns uh, erupting in my mind of, uh, like I, I, I'm getting something like I've never gotten it before. I'm, 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 I'm going, 
wait, you're saying that every living plant around on the planet is sipping carbon out of the atmosphere and pumping 30 to 60% of it into the soil. And if we could keep that carbon in the soil, we could continue to cool and balance and that everyone who eats could actually participate in that revolution, participate in that healing. And they could, and that would make food keep more healthy too. And they would heal their bodies too. So it would be this, and, and again, not conscious, not conscious, but the, you know, sort of calling of that, that experience at 19 with the mother calling for my devotion, not conscious, but, but that was like, uh, here's, here's, you know, have, be the voice, you know, it's like the Lorax being the voice for trees, be the voice for soil, have the world awaken to that soil is the living skin, the body of the earth. And if we don't take care of it, we don't take care of ourselves and soils the ark. We can heal the soil and, you know, the, the planet comes back into balance. We can, it, 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 if we, if we heal, um, and it was just like so clear and so obvious and so intuitive and so, um, and and so I, I I was just flabbergasted. I I I I went and talked to Graham. I went and saw him the next day. I I like just couldn't believe what he was saying was true. And so um, I got back to LA and I found myself just sharing every you know as you know as I said earlier in the the hand to hand service of serving people, you know, plates of quinoa and kale and sprouts and, um, you know, uh, turmeric lattes and, you know, and bringing them, you know, this nourishing food, I started to be able to tell a deeper story just, you know, beyond, you know, um, you know, healthy plant-based food, but that soil is the basis of life. Soil is the basis of food health and soil is the basis of, uh, our environmental health and our climate health. And that, um, you know, a- as I was proselytizing my new insight, um, you know, table to table in Cafe Gratitude, you know, basically people were getting it. People were compelled. People were in- intrigued and people were like, how do I learn more? Um, so I-, I was like, all right, well, go find this guy, Graham Sate online. Um, he's, he's the, he's the, you know, the, tr- you know, he's got this, you know, message. And then I, I didn't even look at what content content was online, but when I went and looked at what content Graham State had online, I was like, Oh God, this is not going to do. Uh, people are going to look at this and they're going to go, uh, uh, okay. Lost interest. And so I basically started gathering people in my living room in Venice around the corner from the Venice cafe gratitude customers, friends, musicians, activists, uh, filmmakers uh, every Monday night for two to three hours to just sort of um, build, uh, you know, you know, how, how are we going to have this message become the uh, prevailing message of hope um, for humanity? And for whatever reason, I had, you know, my, my, my clueless exuberance was like this this can be so we we can change the we, we can awaken the world to this message um and um and so we started gathering people 
Um, we started, you know, seeing what we thought would be the, the, the mechanisms uh, and the levers to making that happen. You know, because we were in Los Angeles, we were like, all right, let's use media and yet let's use the power of celebrity to get this message out there because ultimately um, it doesn't, it, it seems like this is the most intuitive, obvious thing. And yet there's no um, validation for it being a real feasible option. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it started with that little working group in my living room. Uh, we ended up starting a garden on Rose Avenue that was like a vacant lot that became like our first location of where we could sort of build this garden to gather people and, and, and tell people that this story, bring, you know, bring them again back to the importance of spaces, being in spaces, proximity with people, having real conversations you know, where an environment is informing, you know, the learning. And, um, and so we created that. And then we started working on a, a piece of media called the soil story, um, which was a, a four minute piece of media, which was really one of the first pieces of content, um, you know, on the internet in that a short sort of explainable infographic, beautiful way saying this, this story of how soil and regenerative agriculture could be this most important, um, pressing healing modality that we could all rally behind. Um, and then, you know, the, to, to get to the film, um, basically the, the serendipity of that is that I moved into this after being, you know, having a hard time moving, finding a, 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 a place to live in Venice. Um, a friend of mine called me and said their, their friends were moving out. And these two filmmakers were moving out of this small little bungalow that they had lived in 11 years. Uh, and their names were Josh and Rebecca Tikal, and they were environmental filmmakers. They had made, you know, 10 environmental films, had gone to Sundance um, with a film called Fuel. And uh, they were moving out. And as I was moving in, I was like, do you guys know about soil? You know, I, 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 I gave them my, my, my soil evangelist rap. And, you know, they, they weren't buying it. They were like, yeah, not really interested. Sounds boring. Um, you know, it's, you know, soil, we have a hard enough time getting people interested in fuel or making fuel interesting or alternative energy interesting. Um, so, and I was like, no soil, you know, again, but so <laughs> they ended up, um, reaching back out like six months later and, um, said they had also heard through other um, directions, this opportunity of soil being uh, a solution to, um, you know, putting carbon back in the ground and balancing the climate and balancing our environment. Um, and that they were interested in partnering and they loved the name of the organization, Kiss the Ground, that we were developing and wanted to, you know, wanted to, wanted to partner um, to create this film. And for me, it was like, oh my God, a film. I've done that before. It works on telling a message and getting a message out there. Uh, let's, let's do this. Um, and, and it ended up taking seven years um, to produce that film and, you know, many ups and downs and moments of like, it's dead in the water. It's not happening. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't get it. Uh, we don't have the funding. Um, you know, people have lost interest. Um, and, you know, just again, similar to the Mabby Frank thing, uh, there was like this, you know, in, in moments of silence or in the shower, there'd be this whisper of, um, 
you know, take the next step, um, you know, call this person, uh, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, that led to, you know, so many of the serendipitous, miraculous connections to, you know, how the film ended up on Netflix to, you know, getting Woody Harrelson to narrate as a vegan who, you know, getting a vegan to narrate a film that was talking about how, you know, the vegan narrative wasn't the whole truth at all, that there's actually this whole other, you know, reality of how to, which is a whole other story within my story, which is, you know, being a vegan for 35 years and then eating my first hamburger at 35 um, after me and my dad, you know, went through this process of, uh, you know, slaughtering two cows on our farm um, after learning, you know, as, as Steiner said, if we want, you know, uh, a farm to mimic nature, nature always has animals. So if we want a farm, you know, a farm to mimic, we have to have, you know, um, animals on the farm and a cow is, you know, a, a miraculous creature for creating bio biological, uh, health on a farm. And so, uh, I know I went on a long tangent, but I'll, I'll just pause and come back to grounding and maybe let you reflect and, and ask another question or re redirect the conversation. Yeah, no, that, that was awesome, brother. Thank you so much for, for diving deep on that. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't know, I knew, I knew that from Cafe Gratitude and, and hearing about you that you were vegan and that's not super surprising. You know, Dr. Zach Bush is into soil health. He's also vegan. Um, one of my good buddies who you probably know, Darren Olian from Southern California. Yeah. Superfood hunter, you know, jacked, jacked to vegan. He, I think on his 44th birthday, he did a hundred pull-ups with a hundred pound weight vest on. I, I, at 30, I couldn't do that. So like hats off to him. He's dialed in, but yeah. Um, there is a part of this, you know, like nature, nature needs these things. We are working in harmony in this closed loop system. And the sacred hoop includes animals, you know, and they, they do so much for it. It's one of the biggest things. We just went out um, to central Virginia to do a sustainable regenerative agriculture crash course with a guy named Daniel Griffith, uh, author of Wildlife Flowers. Brilliant, brilliant human being. I'm going to have him on the podcast many times. And um, we were talking animal impact, you know, and, and Aubrey initially didn't want cattle. He didn't want uh, goats and sheep because he didn't want the farm to smell like a farm. You know, we're having events there, things like that. Like, cool with exotic game, things like that, chicken, sure. Um, and over time, you know, I've been working on them for a couple of years on this. Like we talk animal impact, large hoofed animals are the thing that's going to cram their poop back into the soil. Like you need that hoof impact to stomp it in. And of course, you know, you touch on this. One of the things that really continued my education was somebody who you featured in Kiss the Ground was, uh, I think her name's Kristen Stewart. Correct me if I'm wrong. The author of The Soil Will Save Us. Oh, Kristen Olson. Kristen Olson. There we go. Damn it. I was close. <laughs> um, but yeah, the soil will save us. I know she went on Ben Greenfield's podcast uh, right when her book came out and I was fascinated. I got that book right then. And that was one of the first detailed explanations of what you're talking about. And of course, you know, hearing that the, the documentary took seven years to produce, it was like, yeah, like, a, cause I remember that right when that came out, I was like, why is no one talking about this? Like this should be, this should be in a documentary. Like this should be all over the fucking news. Like this is a big deal. And, um, that's super cool. And it's cool to, to hear that, that, um, you know, in your path, you've, 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 uh, had a hamburger down the road, you know, probably grass fed, grass finished, regeneratively raised, you know, all the good stuff. Um, yeah, no, it, 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 it was, it was a cow that we slaughtered and processed on 
our beloved form um, after going through, you know, after moving to the farm, m- I mean, my folks moved to the farm, raw food vegans, um, and were living in, you know, living in a yurt and making, um, you know, they, they found themselves being cold and, um, you know, wanting warm food, but then also wanting more fats on the farm, taking on farm work. And, you know, ultimately that led to raw dairy and that led to, um, you know, uh, male cows. And, you know, that led to, you know, not necessarily enough space for them, you know, post being full grown. And, you know, some people were eating meat on the farm and did it make sense to buy meat from Safeway when we actually had um, cows that had a great life and could have one, you know, bad moment. Um, and ultimately, uh, turn into nutrients, um, that sustained, um, the human beings that were stewarding and creating this regenerative experience on life. And, you know, there's, uh, I, 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 I got deep down in the whole Wendell Berry hole a couple nights ago, just reading, you know, some of his essays and I don't know if you know Wendell and have ever had him on you know who Wendell Berry is? Uh, I've, I've not had him on the podcast. I think Daniel mentioned him to me, though, so it's somebody I want to dive into. Uh, yeah, so he has a quote that's pretty deep and says, um, every day we must break the body and spill the blood of creation. Do, doing it knowing, do it knowing, knowingly, carefully, respectfully, and reverently is a sacrament. Doing it with greed gluttony, carelessness is a desecration. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think, you know, and the way my, my dad speaks to it is that sacrifice is baked into creation. There is, there is no life without sacrifice. Every plate of food has sacrifice on it. And, you know, can we be in reverence of that sacrifice such that we can exist and have life? Everything needs to eat, and in every meal there's death, and that's baked in. That's inevitable, um, and um, so that you know that's definitely been an interesting uh, transformation and conversation that, as a family, we've gone through. Because you know, my folks got death threats. I got a woman spit in my face. We had protests out in front of our restaurants from the vegan community. Um, you know, calling my family murderers. Uh, and uh, because we had told the truth about our journey of discovering regenerative agriculture, biodynamic agriculture, and you know the journey of uh, having a cow that one had a blood disease and one was a full-grown male, and then um, you know going through the process intimately to expose ourselves to what it's like versus you know having it be somehow you know behind closed doors, and yeah. Uh, you know, it was, well, I appreciate, I really appreciate you talking about that because it's not, that's not something, you know, um, and it shows where you're at consciously to be able to say like, Hey, this is actually, this is the honest truth of where we're at and how we got there. Um, I told this story when I had Robbie on the podcast from force of nature, but I brought my son out. I had, I had been hunting, um, as a kid and went hunting, you know, started, started taking up hunting a lot more since I, since I retired from fighting. But I brought out my son to, to Rome Ranch for a bison harvest. And it's while my daughter was in the womb. And, and we, we made a seven directions prayer and prayed for the life of this animal and prayed that she'd give herself willfully to us. And out of the herd of, of 80 bison, 
about a hundred yards away, she walked towards us and presented her broadside to us at 20 yards. And I was, I was down on my knees and I had my son, I think who was four or five at the time, sit right on my lap and watch as the animal was shot in the head. And she gave, there is no question. There is no denial. She gave herself to us. And I had so much gratitude. And while she was still born, we came and laid tobacco down and placed our hands on her and thanked her for her body and, and, and made the promise that how we'll carry her forward, how we'll carry her nutrition forward. And she built my daughter literally in the womb as my wife consumed that bison. Mm. She was contributing to my daughter's body like that, that that's full circle. And that's the reverence you're speaking of, right? Like, yes. Um, and I don't look at meat the same way, having had that experience. You know, it's it's a very important thing. And I know you know firsthand what the guys at Rome Ranch are doing and and force of nature and, and that that is a beautiful thing. It's like to hold that respect, to hold that reverence, to to leave that up front and then to see how that's returned to us um in real time. You know, like that could have been a hard a harder deal. Obviously it's a harvest, it's not a hunt, but um it could have been made a lot more difficult and challenging than that was. And, you know, just to, to feel that prayer heard and to witness that and to see it all kind of baked into our experience. And for my son's first experience, really understanding that, you know, like this thing is alive. It doesn't come in a package. I think Food Inc. did a brilliant job of that. Like this wonderful cut of meat doesn't grow on a tree. It's not how the animal does it. Like it, there's a process that happens with that. And, um, you know, one of the, the things we learned uh, out at, at – um, at Daniel's farm was how the USDA processes meat. You know, we having our own farm, we brought in donkeys and emus to protect our chickens. So we wouldn't have to kill a predator, but just something there to stand guard so that yeah. predators would avoid eating our chickens. And um, that's turned out great. After losing two chickens, we haven't lost any more chickens, but driving them, these animals were born and raised on those farms. We drove them 30 minutes or an hour to get to our farm and they were shook up for a week. So you imagine the stress of an animal when they have to get taken from their grass fed land as a, as a, as a young one to then get grain finished and then taken somewhere else to be processed. And they're locked up in the dark. They enclose their body in this metal clamp and then punch a hole in the back of their head. Like that's, you're eating that stress. You're consuming those stress hormones that doesn't go away. Um, or you can participate in the harvest of it yourself. You know, you can know exactly how that animal died. You can pray ahead of time. You can connect with that animal. I mean, it's a complete, you're talking about two completely different things. So um, that's really beautiful that you guys were able to experience that. Absolutely beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. I get moved he hearing about, yeah, the, 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 the consciousness of that, that death while knowing that that, death will create to the nutrient life of the growing embryo body, you know, being of your daughter. Um, it's a really, really beautiful, um, you know, uh, picturing of, of that process in a really clear way. Um, yeah, it's really beautiful. So tell me, I mean, that I love Kiss the Ground. I've recommended it to a ton of people. What do you, what do you see coming forward next? Obviously, you know, you were um, at Rome's event. I missed it. I missed you there. That's why I was like, fuck, let's get on the podcast. Let's get to know each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, again, just to give a little, you know, um, 
you know, kiss the ground now. We're, so there's a, there's a, we're, we're a nonprofit organization that we've been around for almost 10 years. Um, and really our, our mission is to awaken people to the possibilities of regeneration. Uh, we've done that, you know, four, four different ways with four different programs. Um, you know, we've obviously created media content, um, that awakens this message, um, short form and some long form. Um, and then we've, we have an advocacy education program where we, where we create online courses, um, to train people to be soil advocates, uh, how to really understand regeneration, uh, ecosystem function, uh, how, you know, understand the implications on human health, environmental health, and, you know, what we can do as advocates and what transformation we can create. So we have an advocacy training program. We've trained over 5,000 people in 26 countries around the world around, um, you know, how to be soil advocates. Um, so highly recommend everybody to take the soil advocacy training. Uh, we also have courses for regenerative gardening. If people are sort of, you know, at the small scale, compelled, inspired, connected to the importance of soil health and, you know, food sovereignty and wanting to be more connected to their food system, uh, how to set up, you know, varying sizes and scales of, uh, a, a little piece of land that's being consciously, um, cultivated and grown in a, in a, in a, in a restorative, regenerative way. Um, so we have a couple, two courses on, uh, beginners and, uh, advanced gardening, regenerative gardening. Um, so we offer those courses. Uh, we also do that course as, or the, the soil advocacy training co course as a cohort. So you can do it in community with people, um, and, you know, learn as a group. Um, and that all can be found at, you know, kisstheground.com. Um, and then, uh, our, Third program is our farmland program where we provide educational scholarships to some of the best practitioner schools uh, online as well as in person. Uh, so if farmers and ranchers you know, learn about Kiss the Ground uh, through some of our media content or they and they are curious about how to sort of start walking down the path, we provide you know, scholarship education to folks like uh, Understanding Ag or the Soil Health Academy, Gabe Brown from the film. Um, you know, their course called Soil Health 101, um, or Regrarian's Darren Doherty, uh, his, his course, or uh, Alan Savory, the Savory Institute's course on holistic management. Um, so farmers and ranchers who are interested in getting uh, education and maybe the cost of those educations are a barrier, uh, we can provide scholarships to those educational courses. Uh, and then we also provide grants for implementing, you know, small scale improvements in infrastructure. Uh, for farmers. Um, so that's our farmland program. Um, and, uh, and then our uh, policy program, which is really kind of where we've stepped into over the last, you know, post the film of like, what's the next big thing? You know, the film, uh, for those that don't know, um, you know, it's on Netflix. It's been seen about 6 million times, about a billion media impressions, won about 75 film festivals. Uh, it's really, you know, synonymous with regenerative agriculture. If you're talking about regenerative agriculture and people oftentimes go, have you seen the Kiss the Ground film? Or, you know, that, it's a good explainer for, uh, that conversation, uh, to have you really have your own aha moment about how profound of an opportunity regeneration, regenerative agriculture is. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, post the film was like, all right, how do we become most helpful? for moving this 
uh, awareness into uh, you know structural change. And so the the thought was after lots of deliberation and lots of ideation, we came up with you know and I can we use our skill sets of you know communicators, storytellers, conveners, um, connectors um, to build a massive community coalition uh, that aligns in a bipartisan way. You know, having you know the the, the politics you know aside can we agree that soil is our common ground? And can we agree that uh, to heal our soils is a good thing for our environment, for our food security, for our, you know, for, you know, rural economics, for, you know, human health, for public, you know, uh, public health. And so we've been building a, a coalition and campaign uh, called Regenerate America, Soils Are Common Ground, um, with the goal to uh, drive, you know, a continuum of awareness um, around the importance of regenerative agriculture, getting citizens, consumers, you know, everyday people to understand this, you know, so you, you know, uh, align their voice and their uh, support around regenerative America, such that we can have, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, hopefully even, you know, by by the farm bill time, you know, millions of people saying this is what we want. Um, as well as directly um, working with uh, legislators, lawmakers, um, people who sit on ag committees and uh, are decision makers on what are the rewrites of the, the Farm Bill, um, which the Farm Bill is a, you know, a bundle of legislation that gets changed every you know, uh, three to seven years, uh, four to seven years, um, and it's coming up for change in 2023. Um, and, you know, ultimately we'll keep, you know, the, the practice or the sort of systems of American agriculture in place for another, you know, five to seven years, um, post this rewrite. And, you know, we thought, could we, um, could the, could the, uh, the moonshot be, um, that we can drive enough, uh, public support, build enough political will and have enough, you know, direct interaction and influence on, um, you know, legislators to really see the opportunity. You know, we, we've been awakening people to the possibility. We've been waking consumers, you know, business leaders, um, you know, thought leaders, celebrities, influencers. Um, but could we focus on the key people who make these decisions, knowing that they're, you know, in embedded systems of, um, influence and incentives and things that keep things in place. Uh, but could we see them with, with, with the innocence of that all human beings can be touched and can have a transformation? Can we focus on those individuals um, with our best tools of storytelling and communication, with our relationships of the best practitioners in the world to be sort of validating you know, what we're talking about um, you know, speaking the message of like the salt of the earth message of this is possible and this is an unmesswithable reality. Um, and so we're, um, we're about nine months into developing this coalition. We have about 90 organizations, about 10,000 people supporting it thus far. We launched May 17th and our goal is to, um, influence, um, six aspects of, you know, uh, the farm bill related to education, um, 
you know, education and implementation of, you know, what are the conservation and the um, practices that are being encouraged by the USDA, the NRCS. Um, so, you know, giving uh, an infusion of uh, updated information, education, and um, and financial stimulus to support uh, the uh, the programs uh, that help farmers and ranchers implement soil health practices on their farm. Right now, there you know, there's it's an eight hundred and fifty billion dollar bundle of legislation of taxpayer money that gets spent over 10 years. Um, and that, um, uh, about 1% of that is going to conservation and soil health. Um, so we're hoping that we can grow that piece of the pie even a little bit. Um, you know, could, you know, the, the impact could be, you know, you know, astronomical as far as, um, you know, so we're, we're actually some exciting, um, you know, there's some hearings coming up around regenerative agriculture and we're able to bring in some amazing, um, you know, practitioners to testify, uh, and bring a lot of awareness to this, um, important issue. And actually who, one of the champions, uh, David Scott, who's the head of the house air house ag chair committee, who's, uh, potentially going to transition, uh, really is wanting this to be a big moment, his legacy of like, that he moved things forward towards regenerative agriculture. Um, so we're, we're helping him, uh, as an insider to really, you know, forward this, um, momentum from awareness into policy change. And, you know, as, as much as I'm not a huge fan of big government, um, and, uh, you know, the, the government making the decisions right now, our money is, you know, going into agriculture in all the wrong ways uh, that are creating degenerative disease and, you know, malnourishment and poor health. Um, and also, you know, from in incentivizing, you know, chemical monoculture uh, and, um, and ensuring that agricultural system while not ensuring, uh, you know, di diversified agricultural systems. Um, and so we, you know, we have an opportunity to really, uh, even if we make a, a, a one a, a one degree shift at that level, the trajectory of impact could be uh, magnanimous. So um, that's that Regenerate America, Soils Are Common Ground. Uh, you can check out regenerateamerica.com. Um, you know, our, 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 my hope is that all listeners uh, can go and support the campaign. We have over 2,000 farmers and ranchers behind us. Uh, we have a, a, a farmer leadership council guiding the coalition. We have about, uh, I think, 15 different uh, farmers and ranchers from different regions, including uh, Will Harris from uh, White Oak Pastures, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And he was at the Rome Ranch event as well. Um, you know, Farmers Footprint, Zach Bush, you know, they're, they're, they're part of the coalition. Uh, many other organizations um, and um, brands uh, and farming groups are involved. And, um, so yeah, we're, 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 we're optimistic. Uh, and it definitely feels like David and Goliath. Uh, but again, we're, we're bringing the naivete and the innocence that, uh, after a thousand knows there is a yes. And upon that, yes, our life depends. So beautiful brother. Well, that's, that's fantastic. We'll link to all this in the show notes. Um, 
let's finish with with you talking about moving out to Texas. <laughs> Tell us about Sovereignty Ranch. I mean, Sovereignty was a big one. I was very fortunate to already be here the last two years and just seeing how things shaked out in the world and, and kind of how Texas handled it versus California and New York. And, um, you know, really just our, the ability to be sovereign, the ability to make my own choices, um, you know, that, that was not experienced unanimously. You know, a lot of people went back. Um, <laughs> a lot of people just kind of had a, had a, had a, a, you know, culture of amnesia, you know, you just went right back to things like, Oh, everything's great. And not realizing like, Hey, the rest of the world is still, on lockdown. This is kind of a big deal. We're like us in Florida are kind of testing. It. A lot of people are expecting us to drop like flies. We're having UFC events with 20,000 people in them and no one's dying. Thank God. But I mean, we're, we're, we're the Guinea pigs here. And, um, uh, I think of that as, as, you know, proof in the pudding, having obviously seen this track over the last couple of years, but talk a bit about, um, you know, your, your reasons for moving out here and what you guys are up to with, with, uh, sovereignty farm. Yeah. So, uh, two years ago, I decided to move out of the city, living in Venice, move to my sister, um, my sister's farm called So Heart Farm um, in Southern California. We're a 17-acre uh, regenerative organic, um, you know, fruits and vegetable farm. We have you know some animal uh, integration, small little dairy, um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I had been a talking head for regenerative agriculture for a long time. And I, I, I was feeling a, a yearning to get more connected to it at a personal intimate level. And, um, so that, that's what took us here. You know, me and my wife live in, this is my little tiny house office where I run kiss the ground, the nonprofit from, you know, we did, we, we, we renovated a little trailer. We got a little homestead situation, vegetable garden, chickens, um, and then we're set right on the edge of the seven. <laughs> Everyone knows you got chickens by the end of this podcast. Your rooster's been on one. He's <laughs> awesome. It's my favorite. It's my favorite sound, though. Having we have we have uh, thirty six chickens, and when you we bought them online, they can only sex them to eighty to ninety percent yeah. accuracy. So we bought all hens, but just by the math alone, we should have four to eight roosters. We only have two, which is really good. But the two roosters are awesome. I'm really happy we have them, and they just started. I mean, they're they're not even the, the the hens aren't old enough to lay eggs yet, but the roosters just started getting themselves, you know, get getting puffed up and, and making their little caw, and it's awesome. So I love that sound. That's that's a, that's the sound of good. Uh, that's the sound of good food behind me. <laughs> this is just kind of a little like uh, homestead hack of understanding that I've had. Uh, two two roosters can get dangerous. If you have three or more, they kind of balance each other out. Uh, Cause two will lead to like, uh, you know, sometimes a, a fight to the death uh, of, you know, that's a whole other story um, of like, yeah. you know, but if you have, if you have three, they kind of, it's a triage, no one's, um, but two become someone's trying to become the king and um, we'll try to damn take the other one out. Um, has been my experience over the last couple of years of, you know, we, roosters we, and hens. I, we had one develop almost instantly. We were like, oh, that's a rooster for sure. He got his comb like three weeks old or something. Like he was like, he was way, he, he developed very early. And he's, um, we have uh, 10 barred rock, uh, Plymouth barred rock. So they got the black and white kind of pattern. And um, he was more white and black than black and white, like the rest of them. And then a second one from the same group 
And we've had no pecking order issues whatsoever. Like when wow. they get outside, you know, they would kind of, you know, wrestle with each other, bow up and no, no real issues, no pecking at each other. Um, very loving and nurturing. We raised them in our house in Austin and then would bring them into the backyard daily. My wife and I would take their trough outside. We built a little run outside because we wanted them to know us and know the kids uh, prior to us living at the farm and to know our dog. And then we, we brought them out to the farm once they were old enough and could defend themselves and had some custom made coops made. And um, still no issues. Like he's the, the, the Bengali is the big rooster. And that other guy who's a rooster, no behavior like a rooster. He knows that that's the dude in charge. He knows he's the alpha. So I think we've, we've lucked out. But I, I agree with what you're saying for sure. And I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. Um, yeah. So anyway, so uh, moved here two years ago, uh, you know, early COVID. And yeah, I mean, I... I've always been, you know, I, I described my upbringing. I wasn't, um, I wasn't vaccinated as a kid. Um, and have always just, you know, my philosophy of, uh, healing through nature, healing through plants, healing through nutrition, you know, call it uh, again, overly, you know, who knows what the future will bring, but it's where I've had my investment of confidence and, you know, you're not, you're not dead yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not dead yet. And, and, and I'm, and I'm healthy. And, you know, for, for someone who worked in public service of servicing people and being around hundreds of people a day, you know, uh, dirty plates and, 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 and um, yeah, I, I never, I never missed, uh, I never missed a day of work working at Cafe Gratitude because I was sick. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it so I, I've been healthy, you know, blessed. I'm grateful, you know, you know, humble my hubris and the, the confidence around it, but just, uh, it, it, I've, I've been, I've been blessed to be really healthy and, you know, there's a belief in what that has been. Uh, you know, I, I have, I haven't, um, bought into, and been a proponent of the Western medical paradigm, you know, from birth and it's going well. And so when, you know, COVID hit, um, sure there was initial fear, but pretty soon thereafter, yeah, I just, um, I, it, it just felt like, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't buy what was, um, yeah, it just it just didn't make sense how it was all being managed, and um, you know it especially didn't make sense when I saw really credible doctors um, being told that they couldn't be doctors, and that the alternative was send people home until they're in critical care, and then come back for a, a ventilator, um, you know. Uh, and and that no, there's no approved therapies or no approved anything to give people, you know, you know, it, it's like, you know, the victory garden movement when during World War II, the government stepped in and said, hey, let's get, let's get sovereign, let's grow our own food, let's support, let's be patriotic. We had an opportunity to be like, hey, we're, we're sick and unhealthy. We're, we're, let's actually have this be a, a, a call to arms as, a, a, a public 
uh, health public service announcement that we need to get healthy. Let's get outside. Let's exercise. Let's work out. Let's eat. You know, let's, you know, get our vitamin D. Let's get our vitamin C. Let's, you know, take these nutrient, you know, nutrients that are, we're often deficient in that we're seeing are connected to people who are more, um, you know, su- uh, susceptible to the more severe experiences with COVID. Um, you know, and none of that, none of that was happening. It was, it was wait and see lockdown and, you know, everything stops until we get this vaccination. And, um, and it was just like, I don't, you know, I just, it just didn't make sense. And, um, and so, you know, we luckily were on the farm kind of in a, a bubble operating totally outside of the paradigm of fear and like, you know, the, the world is falling apart and everyone's dying from this. Um, and you know, again, I know lots of people died. Um, I know that it, it, it was a new thing that came in and there was confusion and a lack of order to, to, you know, understandable degrees of what to do, how to make the call, what the executive decision on that. Um, but, um, yeah, it just, uh, yeah, it, 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 it didn't, it didn't make sense and it continues to not make sense. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, the mandates, the manipulation around the vaccine, the, the, and then, you know, everyone who's been vaccinated is getting COVID two and three, you know, it's just like, and, and then there's just no acknowledgement that it, it didn't work. There's still a hanging on that, that somehow was a a good thing, you know, um, so anyways, um, you know, you know, Texas, um, you know, here in California, um, you know, my, my kids going into school, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to get the schedule of injections, you know, for him to be able to go into school and to have a normal life. That's a big piece. Um, and you know, the, the way that California has just handled this, uh, you know, I've definitely lost some confidence in, um, you know, the, the, yeah, the, the, where their, where their allegiance is and what their, what, what their, what, what's being served in sort of this, um, agenda of, um, you know, California politics and, you know, California narrative and you know what 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 people have belief in um and so you know again it's strange because you know regenerative agriculture soil health you know healing soil everybody gets that even in the food movement people got like healing through food and not trusting you know the the fda or you know the food pyramid and you know all these other corruptions that have you know led us to believe what's healthy and you know but yet we had amnesia around, you know, a moment of big moment of fear. We, you know, it's like, all right, who has authority? All right, let's follow them. That's how you survive, you know, moments of crisis. And yeah, that feels like what happened. And, um, so, um, you know, my, my parents after 25 years of living in California, me that 25 years, my, my folks are moving to Idaho. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, and it's a combination of a lot of different things, but it ultimately is like, um, 
the, you know, where, what they want the environment of their next generation and kind of their legacy to be held inside of, um, you know, they didn't want it to be here in California. And, um, you know, my sister got a very clear call for Texas and, you know, we've been raising our family together, uh, my son and her kiddos here in, in, in California. And so when she was considering jumping to Texas and then she, you know, had the opportunity to purchase a 200 acre, um, piece of land, um, you know, she invited us to go with her and it sounded like an amazing opportunity to, um, yeah, create, uh, an ecosystem of sovereignty, an ecosystem of regeneration, an environment to invite people and to see a, a different new way of life. Um, you know, I love hosting people. I love feeding people. I love, uh, you know, creating experiences where people learn and have transformational, uh, moments and to have a place to do that, uh, as you know, um, is a, is a, is a key piece. And so it's, you know, it's still, there's a lot of, uh, you know, unknowns of what the, what the future may bring or how it's going to come to fruition. But, um, the purchase, the, 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 the property was purchased, uh, you know, six months ago and we've gone for a couple different stints to, um, you know, we planted I think 700 fruit trees, uh, in an orchard, um, got a few cows there. My uncle Scott's there. We have another guy, uh, another guy and his wife there. Uh, helping, you know, set up early infrastructure. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's an exciting and big unknown chapter of being a, you know, a Californian for, you know, 25 years, and then, um, you know, going to a whole new world. That's so cool, brother. That's such a parallel. <laughs> that's what we're doing. And that's awesome to hear. Yeah, that that everything you were saying about the last two years completely resonated with me. In fact, we we got out when that legislature went through on um, uh, vaccination schedules in order to go to school. Like, I think my son was six months old, and I was like, "Look, <laughs> it doesn't matter how long we stay here. We hadn't made the decision to homeschool yet, but we're like, we know what this means when he goes to kindergarten, and we're not doing that." And um, yeah, you know, like. But, uh, much like you, my wife, I think had had maybe two shots her whole life, completely healthy. Uriah Faber, uh, UFC champion, you know, unvaccinated. My kids are completely healthy. They've never, they've never even needed antibiotics. You know, they, they get sick, they get over it. They get over it without any over-the-counter medication. We give them vitamin C and, um, you know, bone broth and apple cider vinegar. And these kids just march right through it. And so, um, you know, take that for what you will. There's a lot of people that might not agree with it, but that's maybe because they haven't experienced it yet for themselves. And yeah, I think, my, you know, one of the- my son had whooping cough early on, and my wife found, you know, on <laughs> love it or hate it, found a, a protocol on Instagram of uh, a mom, you know, holistic healing, healthy mom, whatever, and um, and you know, did a protocol with whooping cough for my son Rumi. Um, you know, in his first year, yeah, first year of life. And they went to the doctor, she got the antibiotics and was like, mm, not feeling it. Did this protocol with, um, you know, high doses of vitamin C. Um, and he, he started to turn and made progress and came out of it. Um, and again, you know, could be, could be it worked for us, you know, no, no, no guarantees, but it's, again, there's just been enough, flags and signals that give me confidence in, um, you know, that's 
that's the direction. That's the, um, the, um, the path, um, and faith of healing and, um, that, you know, how to balance our climate is through, you know, um, working with nature to heal nature, uh, and working with nature, plants within interaction with my body is also um, what feels intuitively um, right around, you know, uh, living living a healthy healthy life. Absolutely, brother. Well, what's what's next? What's coming up for you? And uh, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so uh, at Kiss the Ground is you know our our Instagram. Uh, my my name is Love Being Ryland, as I said on the. Because being love is um, my, you know, my mission is to be a presence of love in the world. And so, uh, yeah, I'm a love being. And uh, so you can follow me there. Uh, and again, Regenerate America. Um, let's, let's, let's use our collective voice. We know uh, if we want to go far, we must do it in community uh, together. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're taking on an audacious goal of, uh, shifting the way our resources are being spent to support soil health and regenerative agriculture. So uh, please check out uh, regenerateamerica.com, uh, sign on, support us, donate there. Uh, I run a nonprofit. So uh, if uh, regenerative agriculture and is something that inspires you, please uh, check us out and um, you know fund the work that we're doing. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, what's now? I'm I'm excited to. We're, we're I'm having I'm giving birth to uh, a new baby. My wife has given birth to our second child in November. Uh, we're going to do a home birth here in Fillmore, and so excited about that, and excited about um, yeah, excited about. There's a, a second film that's going to be a sequel to the Kiss the Ground film that's being directed by Josh and Rebecca Tikal. Um, so excited for that to be coming out on you know, early 2023. And I'm excited to see uh, a massive transformation in federal uh, legislation that leads to millions of new farmers being able to go in the direction of soil health and healing their land. And uh, I, 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 I am a dreamer, um, but some of my dreams have come true. So uh, I'm going to continue to dream. Thank you so much, Ryland. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. It is, it's inspiring and it's awesome. Uh, shoot me a text when you, when you get to Texas. I'd love to have you out at the farm in Lockhart and show you what we're up to and, and head out to your spot and see what you guys are into. Uh, I would love that. I'd love to give you a hug. I'd also love to know about you know, your events that you're doing with Charles and with Aubrey. I'd love to come participate um, and you know, tap into that community. and that you know. uh, So yeah, thrilled to give you a hug and meet you in person uh and uh yeah thanks brother absolutely brother thank you so much <laughs>